Welcome to the Nurse Becoming podcast. I'm your host, Amanda Guarneri from the Resume RX, and this is the podcast that's dedicated to empowering and encouraging nurses along your path of professional and self discovery. As a nurse practitioner, mom, and business owner, I'm on a mission to help you figure out how to leave your lasting impact on the world, all while bravely and fearlessly growing along the way. Join me for honest conversations and inspiring stories about personal and professional growth, all through the lens of nursing. Hey there, welcome back to the Nurse Becoming Podcast. I'm your host, Amanda Guarneri, and thank you so much for listening today. It's such a pleasure to have you, whether you are a first-time or a long-time listener. I really appreciate you. Today, I want to feature an interview that's really more of a conversation. So my friend Anne Conkley and I had a conversation a few months ago, and I decided to record it knowing that I was going to be making this podcast. And it's not your typical interview. It really is more of a mutual conversation. And Anne is a certified nurse midwife who has transitioned into Well, she first transitioned into a leadership role, and then you'll hear her story about experiencing burnout. She then transitioned away from the hospital setting and now focuses on coaching other women and other nurse practitioners and advanced practice nurses. And she and I had a very interesting discussion, and what I wanted the focus of our conversation to be is about new graduate advanced practice nurses and whether as a profession we are doing as much as we can to support them. And you know, you've heard me talk about the difficult transition to practice from being a nurse to nurse practitioner. I don't really think anyone is exempt from that. There are certainly people who handle it better than others and there are some factors that can set one up for success and we'll talk about that a little bit. So this is a conversation about how You know, Anne and I would love to fix everything if we could. And we kind of talk about the problems and also present some interesting solutions as we brainstorm how things could be. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. It's definitely geared towards the advanced practice segment of my audience. But I think even if you are not in that group, even if you're a prospective advanced practice nurse, you certainly can benefit from this discussion. So let's get right into it with Anne Conkley. I'm so glad that you are here today. So I'll start first. My name is Anne Conkley. I am a certified nurse midwife and a certified coach. And I am so glad to be here with you, Amanda, talking about all sorts of things today. I have a list of questions for you and I know you have some for me and to have a conversation. Um, We've talked in in the past and it was totally enlightening to hear about where you started. And, um, and I, I thought it was fascinating to hear about your business. So I'm excited to hear more. And a little bit about me. I, um, I live in Cleveland. I have two boys. And today is super exciting because it's the last day of school. So we're celebrating that we made it through virtual school. And I own, I founded a business called Authentic Coaching, where I do life coaching for women. And then I have a segment specific for APRNs um, who are going through personal and professional growth and um, trying to find those first jobs. And I love, love that work. So that's about me. I would love to hear, you know, tell us about yourself. 
Yeah, so I'm Amanda Gornieri. I'm also an advanced practice nurse. I've been an NP since 2011, and I live outside of New York City with my husband and three little girls. And clinically, I've worked for a while in emergency medicine as an emergency NP. Um, and for the past couple of years, uh, I started a business called the Resume RX, and I serve nurses and nurse practitioners specifically with career mentorship and coaching so that, you know, my ultimate goal is that all nursing professionals can kind of start and grow a career that leaves them both professionally fulfilled and personally fulfilled. So, and I feel like that's where you and I really are kind of kindred spirits and that we really value not just the professional growth for NPs um, and APRNs, but the personal growth as well, because some things that I notice is that sometimes, and I hope we can talk about this a little bit more, sometimes after you go through all that schooling to become an APRN or even just an RN, after you devote yourself to this career and that career starts, what about the personal side? Like what type of personal struggles are women going through specifically? And I feel like there are a lot that we could kind of talk about. So I feel like we both work really hard to make sure that nursing professionals are working towards those career goals, but also being mindful of how those career goals will affect their personal lives. And I think we both have kind of a story to tell about our own personal life that kind of inspires the work that we do. So hopefully we can get into that a little bit. Yeah, no, I agree. I think it's funny because that's not, I don't think I ever got into the nursing profession and thought I would go through things like burnout. And I don't think I ever knew that I would not only go through burnout once, but twice, like mm -hmm. two episodes of burnout. And I, I don't, it's funny. I mean, I always knew there was a certain level of, like we talked a lot about um, leadership and leadership programs and stuff as opportunities for, you know, professional advancement or for like honing some of those skills that, you know, that the longer that you're in the practice, you know, the more often you get handed in terms of projects and maybe opportunity. And so I think there's always been this like talk about leadership, but I don't think I ever got into the profession thinking I was going to have to personally grow so much and that I would get to a point where I felt like, I was doing all the other work, like seeing the patients, doing the labs, you know, um, helping to do some of the management pieces and doing some of the leadership courses, but that was happening at the expense of the personal side. Mm -hmm. You know, does that make sense? Like, yeah, for sure. I don't think I knew that that was a part of what the experience would be for me. So yeah. um, I think sometimes that's a reason that I do some of the work that I do now. I mean, it really, I feel like, I wish I had a program or some sort of opportunity to, you know, I don't want to say network, but just have that support. Um, and I don't know that I had it. And it's not to say I didn't have a really, we, I was in a big group of midwives with my last practice and they were, they were like, they were excellent. I mean, I had a great group. I still have some very close contacts and really good friends that came out of that group. But like the first practice I was in, I was on my own. I was the only midwife there. And there was one other NP and I didn't see her very often. And there was a PA and then there was this big group of docs and they were great in many ways. They taught me so much. And I still feel like I didn't have that community and that yeah. supportive side, you know, to like yeah. help with that professional, like that, that personal kind of growth that just comes with the territory of, you know, as we get more 
complex patients and we really kind of hone our skill. Like we like need to, you know, just as like you up your skill, you need to like up your personal skills. You For know? sure. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I feel like, you know, as a profession, we do a pretty good job of creating, you know, competent clinicians who are ready to step into those roles. But I feel like maybe we lack with giving the appropriate like anticipatory guidance for what you should expect in that transition to practice, like going from graduation to your first job in your first few years. I don't know about you, but that's where I see specifically APRNs struggling the most is, you know, they get through school, they finally get through school, getting a job can be really tough. And part of that is finding the right job because they don't necessarily know what they're going to need in that first few years. And it's really hard to have that foresight when all your education and schooling has just been focused on passing your courses, passing your boards. And then it's just like, oh yeah, and go get a job. And I feel like you know, there's so much more room in our profession to nurture new APRNs but there's not like a go-to place for that or a go-to person or a go-to community. And, you know, professional memberships and organizations are great, but even, even like the mentorship programs that they try to offer are not serving new APRNs in the way that they need or want to be served. And, and part of that is as a new APRN, you don't know what you don't know. You don't know what you need. You, know, you don't know what you're going to need in terms of not only clinical support, but also, you know, mindset support and kind of transitioning to that role identity of being a professional APRN and also all the other personal things that happen too, because... Yeah this doesn't all happen like in silos, you know, your professional and your personal life are so intertwined. uh, And I really feel like there's a gap there that you and I are both trying to serve in in one way or another. Yeah. And you know, it's funny, even as you were saying it, it reminds me, I was having a conversation with a colleague um, and a couple of clients about how COVID feels like um, the postpartum period, you know, going through and we're in, you know, roughly the... 10 weeks into this, you know, coronavirus and COVID-19, I feel like there's been this just upheaval of with so much change all at once and ignorance is bliss. If somebody told you a year ago, you'd be in the midst of a pandemic and how would you respond? You'd have no idea because you just don't know. And so we've like, I likened this like journey of going through COVID as this, it was like the postpartum experience. You're just like trying to figure out, you don't have a ton of information. You kind of go with your gut, you do what other people do. You kind of take a little bit of what, you know, your, your mother tells you or, you know, the people you trust and then you go from there. And I think when you were talking, I was thinking about how, it's a similar story, I think, with advanced practice nurses, which is that to like labor and birth and parenting, which is like for prenatal care, what do we focus on? Well, we focus on like healthy mom, healthy fetus, and then we focus on birth. Yep. And that's it. And we maybe we talk a little bit about breastfeeding and we talk, you know, a lot of support. And if you're lucky enough to be in a place that does a group prenatal care program like Centering Pregnancy, you might get additional benefit of more information. But like you said, we focus on passing boards, graduate, get your certification, pass your boards, and then you're you're like, what? Yeah, wow, that's such a that's such a powerful analogy. And you know, having gone through that a couple of times, I completely agree with you. Like so much attention and so many boxes that get checked off in that prenatal period. And then, you know, there's the birth event and then 
my gosh, you're pretty much on your own after that. Yeah. And, um, and even, you know, even with the new ACOG guidelines that are trying to, you know, redefine the postpartum care, uh, I don't know about you, but that's not happening in my practice. I gave birth, you know, nine months ago and uh, I got that one six week visit, never another phone call, nothing. And I didn't know what was available to me in terms of resources. I didn't know, even as, you know, not a first time mom, I didn't know, you know, when is appropriate for me to be asking for help about things. And it wasn't until I went to that six week appointment and, and the midwife said to me, Amanda, you need to hire some help if you can get a babysitter. You don't have anyone helping you, your husband's working full time and you're home with three-year-old twins and a newborn, like you need some help. <laughs> I was like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> and I needed to be like given that permission and validated. And so much, so much of healthcare, first of all, is validating. So much of how we connect with other people is validating experiences. Like that alone is so healing that I feel like, you know, a lot of the questions that I see from new APRNs are just situations that need validation. And it's not necessarily you have a question and I have an answer, but, you know, what you're feeling is okay. And, and kind of this coaching of how can you figure this next step out on your own, like given permission to be comfortable in your own decisions is, is something that's really difficult when you're in that first year transition mindset of, you know, feeling like a novice and feeling like you don't even have permission to make the decision. Yeah. And I think too, it's that even a conversation I had this week with a client of mine about, you know, she's in a a certain situation at work and she's like, I think that this feels like it isn't beneficial to, you know, the, the practice of midwifery. And I was like, yeah. I think you're right. And after that, we talked through it. It was a a situation and we, we kind of explored it and we, you know, talked through it and I gave her a little bit of coaching and a little bit of mentorship based on the fact that I've been in a similar situation and I've seen colleagues go through it. And it was so interesting because the relief was palpable, you know, to have a trusted resource to go to, to have someone who, where you knew the response would be honest and it would be, it would come with grace and it would come with that allowing, giving permission, you know, to ha- hold the space for the conversation and the feels and all of it. And so many people don't have that. Yeah. And I don't know if you had that, even whether it was as a parent, a new parent or at a postpartum visit, or if it was like, you know, in your first experience of being, you know, in one of your first roles, but I, that was not something that I had. And that doesn't seem right. And I try to think about other professions, like, is this something that's unique to ours? Are other professions doing this better? You know, I, I try to think, are, do physicians have a, a better way of handling this? Do they have kind of inner circle mentorship, formal or informal, that helps them thrive? Or is this something that happens in a lot of different professions in we're just kind of identifying our own unique version of it. I don't know the answer to that. If there was another profession that was doing this exceptionally well, especially, you know, if it was a healthcare provider role, then, you know, I'd be trying to see what they're doing to help. But I feel like I don't hear as much about burnout and tough practice transitions as I do about our profession. And I'm not sure, I'm not sure why that is. I agree. I, I don't know either. I, I would say this, an article came out in um, that I use in my, I do some speaking for the Ohio Nurses Association and 
we talked about burnout and a couple of practice related issues, safety and that kind of thing. But one study that I have, I think it's by Kesharo and it's from maybe 2019, but it, it was interesting in that it's, um, it's a mostly uh, focuses on physicians, but burnout rate is something like when surveyed 67% of physicians and the sample size wasn't huge. I think it was a couple thousand. It's interesting because if you look at the broader rates of burnout and I couldn't, when I, think about burnout and I think about burnout syndrome and all the things that come with it, you know, the chest palpitations and the stress and the waking up at the 3 a.m. Like, I can't go back. This is terrible. And then knowing full well that there's a good research and data to support that. When I feel that way, I don't give the best patient care. And right. then that's when we start to see that some of the outcomes aren't as good. And so you know, it's this like whole trickle effect, right? But I think if you ex kind of extrapolate from that data and say, well, if the levels of burnout, at least if it's been surveyed in physicians, is, is at two-thirds, which is crazy that yeah. thirds report some type of burnout symptoms, then I don't think, you know, I don't know if this is a an issue that is singular to our profession. I don't think it is. And it's I think it's a bigger, broader conversation about like healthcare and where so, so many of us are like treading water, trying to stay afloat. Right system that just doesn't support us in the way that it could mm -hmm. um, and the way I think that we need. I don't think it's uh, it's just, it's an issue of our profession. I think there are some things that probably contribute to it being different in our profession and maybe a little bit worse. Mm -hmm. um, some of the unhealthy behaviors that I yeah. think are more prevalent in the nursing culture. Yeah, And it's there. It's definitely there. So here's a question for you. What do you think would be a good like preventive care prescription for yeah. burnout? It's, if someone if someone is listening or watching us and they're not there but they're worried about getting there, like what can we do in advance to prevent that cascade? Yeah, and this is, you know, this is an interesting one because I think like everyone will tell you the initial response will always be self-care, which I think is really like a terrible band-aid to put on this problem. Sure. It's not, I don't, in my opinion, and I, and I talk a lot about self-care, whether it's with coaching or whether it's on Instagram. I mean, I do a lot of self-care and, and that is just a very targeted, like, it feels to me like telling, you know, nurses to do more self-care and whether it's nurses or parents or moms or whatever, it's just putting the onus on them to fix mm -hmm you know, to fix it within themselves. And yeah, it doesn't like, look at the bigger, broader system issue of the reasons that, that providers, you know, APPs or APRNs or physicians feel burnout. It's like a hypertension med, like you have hypertension. Here's your, you know, hydrochlorothiazide. Okay, great. Okay, but we just failed to discuss all the other factors that can, you know, make your hypertension worse or that... Sure other non-medical management interventions for your hypertension. So self-care is a part of the conversation that we have about burnout and making sure that we care for ourselves and tend to ourselves in the ways in which we need. And that varies by individual. So that's a part of it. The larger concern is really, you know, do you have engagement at work? Are you in alignment? You know, I talk a lot with my clients about alignment and finding, you know, not only working for an employer in an organization that supports you in, in terms of its mission, right? You have alignment. Your mission is also similar to the mission of the organization for which you work. That's a huge piece of it, in my opinion, because the reality is if I'm working for somebody and they don't show, share my values about 
time management, time freedom, family, the importance of family, social justice, whatever it is, it will just be constant, you know, like consternation. Like I think a portion of it is, portion of it is self-care. A portion of it is having that alignment and alignment comes with needing clarity. Like, I mean, these are the conversations we get and I get into a lot with coaching clients, which I'm sure you do too, which is like, well, what do you want? Right. We tend, I think, to go for the job that that seems like the expectation of what we should want, or mm-hmm. you know, the practice that like will get us the best dollar, or will not necessarily from a place of saying, "Well, these are my values. This is what I need to feel human, whole." You know, really like I'm growing, and then like we, we don't usually do it that way, right? And then I I take what I have in my what's important to me, and I align it with you know, the organization that I'm trying to work for. So it just, so, and you wonder, like if we were, if we supported individuals in the way that they could be supported, especially healthcare providers, I don't know, maybe we wouldn't have as much burnout. I know. know? We wouldn't have to tell people to do self-care and stuff, you know? Right. But I also feel like to some extent, like being able to go about the decision that way is such a privilege some people are just like, well, that's all fine and good, Amanda, but I need a job. I need to feed my kids. I need to pay my rent or pay my mortgage or whatever it is. And, you know, I struggle with that too. And through rose colored glasses, I can say, okay, well, you know, make sure that you are really interviewing the employer, make sure that their mission is aligned with yours and think about your ideal day and, you know, your ideal career and what that looks like. Also have to remember that having the ability to take the time and potentially not be employed or be underemployed until finding that right fit is such a privilege and really comes from a place of privilege. So, you know, there's that conversation too about sometimes people feel like they need to take what they can get because it's a means to an end of employment and then they can like give themselves the space to think about that. So, you know, I try to remember that too, because sometimes I like to describe it like stepping stones, finding maybe not the ideal job, but a job that does pay the bills. And it's with an employer that you feel aligned. You start the job there you work for a little bit, you can then try to move as an internal candidate to that more, you know, ideal, perfect fit job that fits into your lifestyle. So there are just so many different factors. I agree with you that can kind of contribute to, well, I'm burnt out because this is just what I had to do. And I like what you said about not just having the prescription be self-care because it places some blame. Um, It says that, you know, the reason why you're burnt out is because you didn't do this. Um, And that's not fair to the nurses. And yeah, it's, it's just not the statement that that makes, uh, places blame whether, whether it's intended to or not. Yeah. I think you're absolutely right. It is a privilege to not right to find, to look and hunt and find what's totally right. And yes, I mean, you know, there's no question that if you're in a place of needing a job and, you know, you need money to pay your bills, you need money to, you know, feed your kids, like, yeah, you've got to take a job and you may be more selective or you may not be as selective or as choosy about what comes through. However, I think what the important piece that you talked about was, which is mindset, which is this idea of, look, I can go, one of my old boss, we used to joke about this all the time. I can do anything for eight hours. 
you know, throw, you know, it's like when you get into like preparing your mindset for shift when you're like, I'm going to go in. I know the floor is going to be crazy. You know, this used to happen on LMD. I used to work Thursday nights on LMD and catch like a ton of babies. And I just have to go in there with this, like, it's going to be crazy. I can do anything for 12 hours. I'm going to psych myself up and get there. And then, you know, I'm good. Right. And inevitably it would help me get into that good frame of mind with some pump up music, you know, like getting it going. And so I think the mindset piece of that is similar in terms of when you go to look for a job, which is that if we have the awareness to know that, yes, I am the type of person that values, because this is also a conversation that I think is maybe particular to some more than it is to others, right? Some people just like you and I are like, have this entrepreneurial spirit. Not every nurse or APRM does, not every person does, and that's okay. Right. Right. Some people want to go to work and do a 95 and check in, check out, and boom, they're done. You know, that's it. And that's totally fine. For those of us who want a little bit more, right? We want a little bit more freedom. Maybe we want a little bit more self-guided direction where we can, you know, do the projects that we want to do and we want to, you know, sink our teeth into like this and just like own it and run it. And um, and that's okay too. So the the mindset piece I think is that if I go into this job saying, yeah, okay, I'm going to, I can do this job for two years. I'm going to commit to a year. I'm going to commit to one year. I'm going to commit to, like you said, being a stepping stone. You know, this is the, this is the stone that I step onto now. You know, I'm making that next right, you know, that next decision so that it gets me to the next one. Right. And so I think that that mindset piece is huge because when you lose that hope, right, it just like creates such despair, like, I'm never going to get into, you know, that position that I really want, or I'm going to drown here in Dunning or like, you know, checking off my labs, you know, right. Right. But no, you're right. It's a total, it's a privilege to be able to sit and like, you know, consider jobs based on location and the, you know, your needs. So can we use the aspect of mindset to say, okay, I'll go into any situation so that it gives me the experience. It gives me some cash flow. It gives me the opportunity to cover my basic needs. And then, right, you know, and and what's the next step? I build my skills so that I am ready for, you know, the position that I really want in two years or something. Right, you know, something that I noticed. I haven't been working clinically over the past year because um, when we moved to this area, I was very pregnant. So I decided to, you know, leave my job in the previous area, have the baby, and then start looking for a job after a leisurely maternity leave. And long story short, I found and signed on for a job in January and the credentialing took until April and it was in an ER in New York City in the middle of April 2020, which you can imagine what was going on there. And long story short, I decided to defer that job. But so in the past year, I feel like I have finally gotten some breathing room in my life to even think about things like personal growth and mindset. Like I read books now and I take time for myself, which when I was working full time, even in a job, you know, I've always, for the most part, worked a job where I go in, I do my shift and I leave because that was a really high priority for me. I didn't want to be taking work home physically or mentally. So I decided to move into a position where I could completely compartmentalize so that I could do what you said, psych myself up for my 12 and a half hour shift, go in, do my job. It was crazy. I'd do three 12 hour nights in a row in the ER and then I'd be off. And that was just what I needed to do to kind of stay sane as a full-time working mom. But 
that was that was I was pretty much just getting by in terms of my own well-being and and there was not really time for self-care. I couldn't, you know, read or think about mindset activities or journal or do all these other things that I have now had the time to do. And so I have to wonder it was just kind of survival mode at that point where I couldn't even think far ahead enough to say, well, what do I want my next, what do I want this to be a stepping stone for? Yeah. You know, if you had asked me, well, what's your, what's your next career ambition? Like it was just a blank, I, I was coming up with nothing, you know, it was a thought yeah. bubble and it was empty because I just couldn't think beyond like the next set of three shifts. And, and maybe that was a burnout sign for me, you know, that was a point where I decided to make some changes and I worked like a dog to pay off my loans so that I didn't have to work as much anymore. And that's where I finally got that space to breathe. But that's something that I think about too, that so many people, especially if they're working parents as full-time RNs or APRNs, may not have that space to even think and dream about what their next move is. Have you experienced that? Oh yeah. And I think this is that conversation of like, it's, you know, surviving versus thriving. It's always an interesting conversation, I think, from people who have been in, you know, especially nights, because I think there's um, a difference between, you know, doing day shift or doing, you know, only outpatient work for your nine to five or, you know, eight to six or whatever, um, versus taking call or doing some sort of shift night work, Mm -hmm. right? that impairs or that changes how much sleep you get, right? Mm. And I always think it's interesting to have when I have conversations with clients or in general with colleagues about how if you have the opportunity to step away, and I'm not talking maternity leave because nobody, everybody knows maternity leave is like the, (laughs) right? There's nothing restful about maternity leave. And if you have the, the opportunity to, and again, privilege to step away from that and to have you know, three months of like, or even a month of consistent sleep, if you get the basic needs met, it's crazy that, Mm -hmm. I mean, the space that it opens up and the, it's, it's, it's always so interesting. I think it's, it's such a different perspective to come out of that. And I'll, I'll never forget when I, um, the first job that I took was all outpatient. We did like, you know, I, I um, started off in the role. I was Monday through Friday, every other Saturday. I had half a day on Wednesdays for the days I worked on Saturday mornings. And I knew I didn't want to do, you know, outpatient only for, you know, my, my career. I wanted to be full scope midwifery. However, that was the position that was available. So that's what I mm-hmm. took, right? And so eventually I got to the point where I was able to help, you know, allow, do some call, which was great. But I'll never forget you know, going from working shift work as a nurse, right? This is my first, um, you know, midwife position. Went from shift work as a nurse and travel ner- or, uh, travel nursing within Chicago into this like very regular routine for about a year. We didn't have kids. Like we were just moved back from Chicago to Cleveland. And I was like, oh my God, like, this is, like is this what people do? Like they go to bed at the same time every night and then they wake up and they feel refreshed and they can go work out. And then they, you know, it's so crazy. And then you get into, and then, you know, and then all of a sudden I, we had our first child <laughs> and like I said, you know, the, <laughs> and then you never cool. slept again. <laughs> and then you never slept again, you know? And then, I mean, it's just so funny. I'm at a point where my kids are 10 and seven. And so they're sleeping through the night They're, you know, and I am also sleeping through the night. 
And that's the craziest, best intervention that probably any of us, I think, can give to ourselves. So you're right. I don't know. And maybe this isn't a shared you know, feeling amongst all advanced practice nurses, but I would say if you have the opportunity to not work, I am curious about the experience of going from that shift work, especially working nights and days back and forth, back and forth. Mm-hmm. And then going to this like consistent routine. I'm curious to know about the difference in feelings. My own personal experience was that it was earth shattering, literally, mm-hmm. you know, Yeah. Anecdotally, like the couple, probably handful of um, APRNs who I've known, who I knew in my previous position, who worked nights and then transitioned off of nights, either because they took a different job, because frankly, in the ER, it's rare to find a position where you're not forced to do either shift rotating or straight nights. Um, But I remember this one NP who I think I actually took her vacancy. Like I, I took her night's vacancy. She took another job as a hospitalist at a a neighboring hospital and she stayed on per diem, but only did days. So sometimes I would sign out to her on like a Saturday morning or something when I had just worked the night. And she was like, Amanda, you will never believe the difference. She's like, I, she's like, it took about a week or two, but now I'm, I finally feel alive again. I was like, wow, that's a powerful thing to say. But you know what? I totally, I totally agree. And and granted, I did my transition off of nights when I was about six months pregnant. So then I had like those other things impacting my comfort and sleeping through the night. When I was on nights, my moods were awful, mm-hmm. um, especially like after, because I, I would work when I did part-time, I would work two nights and then I'd come home, I'd get home at eight, I'd eat breakfast, I'd go to bed. And in order to flip back um, to a day like schedule, I would get up between two and three. So I'd really only get from like nine to two-ish on that final, that final night. And that rest of the day, I couldn't drive anywhere. I could hardly prepare dinner. I was a very not friendly mother. My fuse was so short. I almost picked a fight with my husband, mm-hmm. like a, a yeah. fight that did not need to be picked. <laughs> and I just have to like check myself and remember that it was a post nights situation. I felt physically hungover, like headache, sick to my stomach, just so foggy. But it was the only solution that could allow me to keep my sanity otherwise working as a working parent. Like it was the only thing that diffused the guilt of returning to work as a mom with young kids at home, because I knew that while I was working, my kids were sleeping. And it was the only thing that got me through that shift where my mind could be completely focused on the task at hand. And it really needed to be in the setting that I worked in. And and in any setting, you're, you know, you need to be focused on the task at hand. But the only thing that kept me from kind of going nuts on a shift was knowing that my kids were safely home in their bed, not missing me because they were asleep. Yeah. My mom is a nurse and we have like a ton of nurses in our family. She always used to say that she would work. Uh, Her mom was a nurse and her mom would go to work at work PMs. 
my mom did the same. And my mom used to say the same thing. She's like, I always felt like at least I knew you guys were taken care of and, you know, your grandparents would put you to bed and, you know, and, and you wouldn't really know that I was gone and she yeah. did that for years. And I did that too, as a new, I mean, I've worked nights for 15 years, whether it's been as a, a registered nurse or a midwife. And up until a year ago when I left my clinical practice and it is crazy. I had a big realization probably, I bet it was, um, I don't know, maybe at this point, five or six years ago, I did this leadership program. It was really interesting. And I'll never forget sitting there. And I had this realization that I was, and I was in the midst of going through some stuff. Like I'd been through, you know, this really horrendous shoulder dystocia that ended up fine for mom and baby, but I was like left with just a lot of trauma and guilt Mm. and and just, you know, that whole, the fear of it happening again and all this. And I went through that. I was going through a lot of thyroid stuff. Like, you know, it was like the perfect storm for like thyroiditis, mm. you know, and my kids were little. I was, you know, I think my uh, littlest one was, I don't know, three or four. And my, the new, you know, right. My littlest one was the newborn. And like, I just remember thinking I would do something like similar. Like I would just, you know, whether it was me picking a fight or being just like annoyed mm. or just so tired at the end of the night that I just couldn't, you know, finish the job, whether it was doing the dishes and I'd just be like, oh, or washing bottles and pump parts. Oh, like I, even that I get angst, like just thinking about washing <laughs> pump parts, you know, but I remember sitting in this leadership class and just thinking I'm giving my best. I'm so tired that, and I value the work that I do. And I remember thinking I'm giving my best to, to my patients, which they deserve. They deserve it. Right. They deserve my best. And they don't deserve it at the expense of my family. Yeah. And I will never forget being like, oh, what am I doing? Like, I'm so backwards. And that was a big moment for me where I just thought, I need to figure out a different path because this does not serve me and it does not serve the people who are important to me, my family, my children. And I know parents raise kids in all sorts of situations. And under so many constraints that are way worse than what I have, you know, I have a loving, supportive spouse, you know, and a great partner in, you know, rearing children and, and like, not everybody has that. And I was still like, I couldn't get over that sense of thinking, what am I doing? Like, this is crazy. I'm totally backwards. You know, that was, that was like a pivot moment for me. Cause I thought I got to fix this. Like, this is not, it's not good. It's funny that you say that because, you know, sometimes we go through experiences and if we don't have a big enough support network, we feel like we're the only ones who go through that experience. But I remember my turning point, whatever my aha moment that I needed to change what I was doing was after I had gone back to work after the twins. And I think I had gone to nights already. I don't remember, but I remember feeling at work so resentful because First of all, emergency medicine, not the most gracious job. You know, you do, (laughs) (laughs) you know, you, you do really important work most of the time. You know, it's the worst day of their life and they get a pass for this, but you don't, you don't get a lot of appreciation from the patients. And, you know, sometimes you get belligerence, which is a whole other story. But I remember going to work and feeling like I was leaving the people that I cared for the most in order to care for people who didn't give a crap about what I was doing for them. And that's, that was like my pre burnout 
sign when I was having like, cause it wasn't just compassion fatigue at that point. Like it was compassion resentment. I'm here giving of myself for 12 and a half hours to strangers. Um, and like you said, at the expense of my family and whether it really was at the expense of my family, I'm not really sure because I'd like to think that when I was present with my family, like I was the best parent that I needed to be, but it was, you know, the fact that they were with my in-house babysitter while I was sleeping. And I created that scenario for me to feel better about the fact that I was working, you know, and the fact that it was cheaper to have a a nanny than two infants in daycare. But I don't know, I just felt so resentful and jealous of my nanny for getting to spend all that time with my kids during the day while I slept so that while my kids were sleeping, I went out to care for people who didn't, who I didn't feel appreciated the work that I did. And, you know, that may or may not have been true, right? Like the work that I was doing was important, but, um, but how I felt about it affected how I was able to perform and provide care. And, you know, that was a really difficult realization to come to because if you would have asked me when I was in NP school before I was even married or had children, you know, I would have said, oh gosh, I'm going to be full-time working mom until I can't do it anymore because I was so career focused and so career driven and had such large career goals that I just figured that my personal life and my family life would fit into that somewhere. But what I realized and what I didn't expect to realize is that for me, it's the exact opposite. I need to create my preferred life, personal life, and then have my career fit into it, at least for right now. Um, And that right now has been, you know, four years so far, you know, since I became a mom and maybe that will change. Maybe it won't. I don't know, but that's how it is right now. And so that's what I've been trying to, you know, admit to myself and then do all the other parts so that I can feel, like you said, in alignment with that decision. Yeah, I I think it's so interesting because I don't think we're alone, whether it's in our profession or in general as working moms, where, um, and and this is a conversation I think too, um, that for me is peppered by, um, I just read Ada Calhoun's um, Why We Can't Sleep, which is a really, talks about midlife crisis for women and a lot about the millennial Gen X kind of difference and the difference between like boomers and Gen Xers and Mm -hmm. millennials and, and how the Gen Xers are and I'm right on the cusp of Gen X and millennial about how, you know, there's just this, like, you know, the boomers created, made so many of these paths forward, you know, like bulldozed a lot of things for the Gen Xers. And now it's like, well, you can have it all. And the question is, you know, I think there are many of us who get to the point, and I, this is my personal opinion, where I felt like, I don't know if I want all that yeah. right? at, yeah. at that expense, right? At that cost, because it's always a cost benefit ratio. Mm-hmm. It always is, you know, I love Lizzo in general, but, and I love her phrase, like, is it just worth the squeeze on that? Because it's always this, you know, it's, it's kind of a, a great way to ask yourself, like, is it yeah. really worth it for me to be tired and not, you know, feel like I'm fully present with my kids and then it manifests in anger and frustration and fatigue just is so detrimental. Um, mm-hmm. And and then that whole guilt piece, because you can't have this conversation too without talking about the fact that 
it's just really hard for being, for working parents in general. And I mean, if yeah. anything, COVID has done anything to show, like remind me of that. And Absolutely. Right. It's like a good reminder to the world of all of the, the difficulties of being present, being, you know, being parents who are, I don't know, like I hate to say like enriching and, and like good. I just mean to say the difficulties of raising children and working and trying to find the harmony. And it's like, it's crazy. Yeah. There's always, it feels like there's always more work to be done. It's never just checking boxes. Like you said, once the basic needs are met, when it comes to parenting, there's just always there's always more to do or more to be done or more to be improved upon. And I want to be able to have that space in my life to think about those things and make those decisions because that's what's important to me. But yeah, no, the current situation has definitely kind of casted some light on that, that who knows if things will, if things will change moving forward. But I think that, you know, realizing the challenges that working parents go through that maybe that I feel like we all we all know yeah. you know anyone who has worked and also been a parent knows these things for the most part unless you are incredibly privileged in which case you probably don't need to be working and you can hire the help to help you navigate those types of things but it's conversations that just that just don't happen probably because people are too busy working and raising their kids to sit down and have the conversations you know I think about it yeah no I, I completely agree I think we're having more of them it's just you know it's that whole piece of when does conversation how does it turn into you know policy change and how does sure. it into making sure that you know people don't only see it and feel it but they you know there's some you know we make some actions and forward progress on it and it's I don't <sighs> And I think too, if anything, the fact, I mean, we're, like I said, today we're celebrating because today's the last day of school and I feel like we made it. I feel like, like I, I had, a, I had a, a short, um, like little comment in the New York times that came out about a year ago. And it was just one of those, like I get their uh, weekly emails that come in living well and, and parenting and stuff. And I love mm-hmm. that. And so they had put at the bottom, like, you know, share your, uh, one of your, you know, successes of being like a working parent, you know? And I was like, I was so excited when our kids, you know, our little, our, uh, my youngest got on the school bus to go to elementary school with my oldest. They went to the same school and, you know, it's public school. And I was like, wow, this is like, we made it. We made it out of daycare. (laughs) We made it out of diapers. We made it out of the whole thing. And oh my gosh, we're still here. We totally made it. And I feel like today is another one of those days of like, we made it. And I, Mm. you know, because there are so many working parents who aren't like me and have the luxury of being able to get up three hours early and do work on my business and then do three hours of virtual schooling and sit with them hand holding and helping them get the assignments done and doing the portion that the teachers have done. And I know that there are people who don't have that luxury, but like, I just feel like it's another one of those where like, oh, it didn't break us, you know? And I hope that's not the end of the conversation. (laughs) Like, oh, you made it. It must've been fine. You know, you you did it, you know? Um, I hope we have bigger, broader conversation about like it's not sustainable. Right. It's not. Yeah. But I would love to hear just about Resume RX. How did it come about? Because I mean, I think for people who are probably listening to this, that they're, you know, maybe working parents, working moms, APRN moms, 
and knowing some of the changes we've gone through with staffing and, and the changes in terms of people being furloughed and laid off, like, how did you start this and how did you, like, how did it happen? Yeah. So it's a good transition from my story of, you know, going back to work as a mom of young kids. And I was searching, I was searching for something to allow me to stay home more. And I also was searching for the opportunity to, you know, like maybe be my own boss a little. I, I never really was an entrepreneurial type of person. Like that wasn't really in my vocabulary as a kid. I didn't have a lemonade stand or, you know, sell, <laughs> sell things to anybody. But, you know, I was searching for that opportunity where I could directly influence the money coming into my household by something that I could create and do. So I was in a Facebook group, like I was just browsing my Facebook feed or whatever. And I'm in a bunch of nurse practitioner, APRN Facebook groups and something popped up. Someone was asking for advice about their resume saying, Hey, can anyone post a picture of theirs? Or how did you lay it out? There are now tons of those types of requests that I had just never really seen before. And so I was like, Oh, I can just, I'll just post a picture of mine. I, I have a nice resume. I worked on it. I, I find myself, you know, talented in that department. Like I know what looks good and I know how to write. So I posted a picture and it got like a lot of great responses. Oh, wow. Can you send that to me? Blah, blah, blah. So I didn't think too much of it until I kept seeing these same requests. Hey, can someone recommend a resume writer? Can someone, how, what should I do for my resume or CV? And asking all these questions, I was like, Oh, this really seems like it's a pain point for people, Mm -hmm. Um, which pain point probably wasn't in my vocabulary either because I had really no business acumen or any sort of business training, to be completely honest. You know, said to myself, well, this feels like a gap maybe I could try to fill. So um, I first tried to, I wanted to validate my idea. Like, could someone, would someone pay me money to do this? Mm -hmm. So I did two or three complimentary resume rewrites for friends of mine, nurse friends of mine, and then created like this very small portfolio of testimonials and examples and posted back in that same Facebook group that I was, you know, available to do this. I was starting a business and for a discounted rate of, I think my first price was, I don't know, $100, $125. I would rewrite and redesign your resume for you. And I got a ton of responses. So that ended up being kind of my first block of clients. Um, And so I used that revenue to kind of self-fund getting my business started. So I started a website and as I went and redesigned, I created kind of templates of the designs I was creating. And then eventually I put those up for sale on my website, which nobody really knew about, but I hoped that someday I would kind of like get them out there into the world. And so long story short, that first year of business was me doing a lot of custom resume writing. I gradually increased my prices every few months. And then I had this, you know, resume template shop that I hoped people would find in the background. And they did. And, you know, in the past couple of years, I've sold several thousand resume templates. um, And I've had now several hundred (laughs) custom resume clients. And what I did was I grew the business, you know, after the first year or so I said, you know, this is great. I love writing resumes for other people. But what I really like more, uh, because I also started a social media presence, I really like teaching people mm-hmm. how to, not only how to write their resume, but why it's important. And also the other very important things, because it's not just all about your resume. I don't want, uh, in hindsight, I probably 
named my business wrong because, you know, I kind of get labeled as the nurse resume person, which is great. Like your resume is really important, but it's not everything. So, you know, my brand has kind of evolved into being more of an education type platform for nursing professionals to learn not just how to write a cover letter, but also how to navigate the job search and negotiating and kind of all that professional stuff that nobody learns in school. So now I still have a portion of my business. That's the custom resume writing. That's now like the kind of premium, most expensive thing. Um, But I also have some online tutorial courses that teach people how to write their own resume. I have a course that teaches people kind of how to go from commencement to contract when finding um, a a job. And that's specifically for NPs. Um, And then um, my templates are kind of the entry point that most people find me. And, um, so yeah, that's, I love them. I, I love the <laughs> templates. I think they're awesome. I love the, your website. I think it's just, it's Thank beautiful. You. And I love, you know, I always chuckle cause I get so many of your ads popping up into my feed and I'm like, there she is. Hey, man, <laughs> you know, I love it. But I, I think it's great because it's a good reminder to me. Like there are ways to increase our visibility, you know, as business owners, and you're doing a fabulous, fantastic job of it. So thank you. Um, and I love that. And I, you know, I know I told you about too, the Doximity, you know, the uh, video that came across on Doximity, I think about like interview tips and skills, maybe. I thought, yeah. it was, but I love it. It's like, you're right. Thanks. It's just that commencement to contract that is, it's hairy and it's yeah. like, so pain points, you found a pain point or an issue that people were having. You're like, mm-hmm. I can do something about that. Yeah. And you did, which yeah. is, you know, not everybody does that, which is awesome. Yeah. Like in the most basic sense, if you're talking about business, like what it means to start a business, all a business is, is some sort of value exchange. And in, in this case, you know, money for helping a consumer solve a particular problem. And it's, you know, a value exchange of money and goods or money and education, money and services, whatever it is. But people come to me for kind of business advice for wanting to branch off and start a business. And, you know, specifically for nursing professionals, if you can identify a pain point, whether it is of a patient, of another nurse, of another business um, that you can solve, you can create a business around it. And that's where the marketing comes in and, you know, the business building, you know, if if you know that you can solve that pain point and, and solving that pain point fixes a big problem or provides a luxury. One of my business mentors describes a product or service, whatever it is, it's either a vitamin or it's either a painkiller, meaning that it fixes a problem that you have, that would be the painkiller, or it provides kind of like an extra luxury type of experience. It's something that you want versus something that you, something that you need. And so I think that if, you know, as an individual, you can identify or you can provide something of value in one of those other categories and you can validate that, meaning you can kind of get a first group of people to give you that value exchange for the thing that you're offering, then you have a business and then you just have to learn all the business stuff <laughs> to yeah, make yeah, it, you know, sustainable. And there are tons of coaches for that. I think it's so interesting. And I, I, you know, this one group that I run now, we talk about some similar stuff. We talk about like, you know, CVs and resumes and, you know, the differences in networking and LinkedIn and optimizing all that stuff, you know, as like a full package. But one of the bonus content sessions that I put in there, which is 
so intriguing to so many is about side hustles. Mm. And we talk about like, you know, 10 different side hustles. And I, I, I have like a list of, you know, I mean, you could come up with 50 side hustles. I'm sure <laughs> 10 that I share with people that I think are, you know, interesting. And it's always this like light bulb goes off and being like, oh, you know, I mean, you can almost see it. And with my clients, like, oh, I didn't, you know, it's like a mindset shift. Like, I didn't even know that was a an option, you know, mm-hmm. I didn't know I could take it. And and sometimes when, you know, I I think too about my own experience and how you saw a problem, you saw a pain point or an issue that others were having, and you said, Oh, I can provide a solution to that. And I think about when I, the minute I had my light bulb moment was when I was sitting in an entrepreneurship class, it was called living the good life. And I was like, cause I saw it on, you know, my electives list for my MBA program. I was like, I'll take that class. <laughs> you know, so, um, but I was sitting in there and I was listening to this life coach, Julie Riesler, who has become kind of a, a friend and she's an inspiration to me, but she was talking about how she had started this business. And I'll never forget sitting there and thinking, I could do this. Like I could do this. You know, I, I know what it means to, you know, have an exchange of, of providing value to patients and having an exchange, right? Patients come to me with a concern or pregnancy and I, I catch a baby and submit a bill. Like I'm, <laughs> I was familiar with that. And I'll, I'll never forget sitting there and thinking, oh, like I have had some issues trying to figure this whole thing out. And I've found some solutions for myself that have worked really well. And there's no doubt that those would probably be applicable to other people. Like other people would find value in that. Some of my clients get a little bit in that headspace, like, but I don't know what they want because they don't see, right, the Facebook post of like, Mm. they don't capitalize on, oh, like that's an issue other people are having and I can provide a solution. I tell them like, well, what about doing a course on how to be a really great church nurse? Like what is some skill that you have had to overcome that you personally have figured out how to do? RNs, APRNs, as moms, what working parents, like you found something that you've done that's made it easier. And there's no doubt in my mind that you can teach someone. Right. Just like we nurses do all the time in our profession, teach them how to do it. And I just remember being like, oh, <laughs> you know, I made changes in my life. They were really, really big for me. I can help other people do that. And that's how I, that's like literally how I got started. And it's just that interesting, you know, kind of, I feel like that light bulb aha moment to say, oh, okay. Yeah. You know, it's like you need to be given permission that you can provide value in another way. Yes. Like your value isn't, you know, I mean, it, it was interesting. I just saw a video the other day about like the difference between value and worth, you know, like mm. we're worthy. You're, you're always worthy. Yeah. Always. Every bit of you is a worthy, you know, you, you are worthy from the moment that you were born until the moment that you die, you have worth yep. always. And we can create value and we can create an exchange of, you know, uh, dollars for a service and that, but, but yeah, it's that whole piece of thinking, oh, I could do this in a way that not only I, I'd like to do, and I think it's interesting and it's been helpful to me. And it's a way that I can make some money and, oh, I can take that and I can make some bigger money. And, oh, I don't have to sacrifice my family and being a mean mom, which (laughs) I will sometimes because, you know, I'm tired and all that. And I, it's just a, yeah, it's a huge shift in just. Yeah. I think that our profession in particular, you know, to talk about worthiness kind of ties our worth to our productivity. 
you know, sometimes literally, especially for APRNs who are like actually compensated more based on how productive you are. Um, and so I think it's a really dangerous place that we tend to get into as professionals that our worth is defined by our, our productivity. And, you know, that's a long conversation for probably another time, but, you know, I think it's a really important point to make that I try to make to the new NPs that I'm counseling and kind of mentoring that, you know, when we discuss productivity pay and what you should be negotiating in a contract and, and that whole side of things, like I preface the conversation by, listen, please remember that your worth is not defined by your productivity, your salary maybe, but you know, do not tie that to your worth and your identity as a person, because that is very, very dangerous territory. Yeah, no, it's a, and I think too, once you get into some of the, you know, comp plans that are based on productivity and, you know, we, you know, we see that people are incentivized to do more and to, you know, and RVUs just become the focus, you know, how many RVUs did you have? Did you meet benchmark? Did you, are you at the 90th percentile? You know, do you, do you bonus based off of your, you know, um, your RVUs? And it just is, I don't know. I get like annoyed with it because I think in, in the profession of women's health, and that has a direct outcome on birth and it has direct sure. outcomes and what we mm-hmm. do. There may be others uh, who argue with me, but you don't have to look for many examples within the world of healthcare, whether it's cardiology or it's stent placement. Sure. You know, people who are incentivized to do more, do more. And yeah. it's not always the best outcomes for patients in mind. It's a... Um, We'll do that on our next one. I know. Yeah. If you're watching or listening, leave us a comment or a review about whether you think that we should talk about productivity and worthiness and incentivized care for healthcare providers. I think that's, that'd be a very interesting discussion. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's a (laughs) full of stuff. Mindset, you know, (laughs) shame, guilt, all like, I mean, that's a whole like brutal for sure. So yeah. Good. Um, well, to wrap things up a little bit, where can people connect with you and find you? So I, um, I'm too on Facebook, just like you are. I have a website, www.anconkleycnm, um, and that's conkley with a K, dot com. So that's the best place. But you know, my Instagram feed is always, um, I love Instagram. It's my favorite social media. Me too, platform. me too. <laughs> so I put a good amount up on Instagram and then, you know, um, I also present on Facebook. And, you know, I usually have a course kind of that I'm designing or, or figuring out, you know, that's available. So awesome. What about you? Me, me too. Same thing. I'm I'm everywhere at the resume RX. Um, so the resume rx.com and at the resume rx on Instagram. And yeah, browse my website, send me a DM. I like to connect with people in my in my DMs on Instagram. It's my favorite pastime. So yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> I know. I've made a lot of connections on Instagram actually. Yeah. It's a um it's a great little like great little field. It's a good community. Yeah. yeah. It's a good community for sure. So it was such a pleasure to talk with you. Yes, likewise. Such a nice, we've had a a conversation or two before and I just, it's so nice to have a conversation with another APRN mom. So yes, we'll do it again. (laughs) Very good. All right. Well, that does it for today. Thank you so much for tuning in and making it all the way to the end. If you found today's episode helpful, would you take a minute and give me a rating or review on Apple Podcasts? It will truly help other nurses find this show and know that it's worth listening to. For more information about this episode, as well as a place to submit your questions or suggestions for future episodes or guests, head to nursebecoming.com. I cannot wait to connect with you again soon. And until next time, remember, I am always rooting for you.